Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Gus Rabayo speaks about what it takes to create longevity in the Nazarite lifestyle. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Sweet. Well, let's pray and... We're going to go into part two of the call of a Nazarite or the vow of a Nazarite. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Just take a moment right there as you're opening and just whisper to the Lord you love him. We love you, Jesus. We're here for you, Lord. We're here to meet with you and be met by you and be known by you and to know you. So we ask, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Would you make the word of God living and tangible to our hearts today? Make Jesus someone who is literally at our reach. And at the same time within, help us, God, in Jesus' name. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, A very specific question. You could raise your hand if you want. But if you want to, raise your hand for those of you who came up to the altar last week after Josh shared. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Thank you. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking for your personal reflection at this moment. And for everybody else as well who didn't raise your hand, what did you do with it? What did you do with the altar call moment? That's, that's not a, that, that's a gentle rebuke, confrontation. Um, yeah, it's gentle. And, and I'm not trying to shame anybody. What I'm trying to do is, is give you hope that I'm hoping that I could give some language to what you did last week if you didn't know where to start or where to go. Amen? So if you did that and you're like, okay, that's awesome. I don't know what to do. My hope is that as amazing as our services could be and are, that our responses beyond these doors would be even more so. That in the secret and in the hidden place with the Lord, that our responses in our continual yes would be greater than an altar call moment. Because your life is made up of more of those unseen things that you say yes to outside of these doors more than it is you up here. Does that make sense? So when someone is sharing, regardless of who it is, if there are things in there that the Lord is saying, I'm always encouraging you, please, Write it down or write it down if you have a paper or type it on your phone and, and do something with it. That those things that the Lord is highlighting to you throughout the message, that you would turn it into a conversation the following day. The problem is that sometimes we take days or weeks to try to start a conversation that should have happened that same night or the very next day. And I'm trying to help you not... Th- so th- this is what happens. When we prolong a conversation... It causes a dullness in our hearts. 
our hearts to grow dull. Because it's in this moment right now, let's just say if it was last Thursday and at the altar call, you're in that moment. That's the moment the Lord is highlighting something very specific. And that's the moment, if we're honest, our hearts are at most vulnerable and attention to what the Lord has to say, right? So it's important for us to take action immediately. And by action, I just, I simply mean this. I'm not trying to get anybody to perform. I simply mean this. You in your room or in your car on the way home, just asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with that? That's it. That's what I mean by action. That's a good place to start. Lord, what do you want me to do with what I just heard? Because as soon as you heard it, you become responsible. And as soon as you responded to it, you become accountable. So simply taking action is asking, what do you want me to do with this? That's how relationships progress, right? If, you've ever, if you have a friend in here, thank God Alicia has friends now. And I hope you do too. And if you're in a relationship or you're married in this room, you progress by asking questions. You can't progress by assuming. <laughs> I almost said it, but I didn't. No. So I'll share briefly with you guys um, the moments that the Lord has led me to Nazarite vows, and then I'll get into just the three points that I have for you. And um, there are these prayer events that have been happening since some of you have been born um, or even before, and they're called The Call. And it's uh, led by a man named Lou Angle. Uh, he hasn't had one in a, in a while. He does something different now. And it's turned into something called Descend. And some of you are going this weekend. I think it's this weekend, right? Yeah. Um, and have fun because I just, yeah, I love the people who lead it. I know most of them, and they're amazing. Um, and it's, and even for gatherings, <laughs> it's the same thing. When they, they have mass, massive altar call moments, you got to do something about it. Because as soon as you hear it, you're responsible to do something about it. So in 2001 was the first one that I went to. How many of you were born in 2001 or after 2001? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. How many of you were born before 2001? Okay. And the rest of you were not born. <laughs> born again, just that. Oh, he liked the dad jokes. His own wife's dad jokes. Honestly, Val is full of dad jokes. And I always, I always have to remind her to leave them to me. Leave the dad jokes for dads. Uh, anyways, in 2001 was the first one I went to, and that one was in San Francisco. In 2003, I went to another one, and that one was at the Rose Bowl in uh, California, in Pasadena. The one I went to after that was in 2008, and that was in San Diego, California. In 2010, there was another one, and it was in Sacramento, California. And then in 2012, we actually led one with him in California, in Pasadena, California as well, and it was a, a Spanglish one. It was bilingual, um, and we were a part of the worship team and prayer leading and so on and, and organizing it and everything, and it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. That was 2012. 
And then in 2016, uh, there was another one at the LA Coliseum. LA Coliseum. Um, and they're not all in California, just the ones that I go to or went to, by the way. But it was at the LA Coliseum, and we got to participate and lead worship at that as well um, in the 2 o'clock session where it was apparently about missions and not me not even knowing until later. And so it was in a two, the 2008 one that I first heard. Uh, I heard it in the 2001 and 2003, and it's just... I'm super young back then, and I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on right now. 2008, it's hitting me like a ton of bricks, and I was 21 at the time, at 2008, and I am in my heart making a vow before the Lord as he's calling for a Nazarite vow uh, and people to respond to it, and I'll tell you what that looked like in a bit. Um, That one lasted about three months. In 2010, I did another one. That was the one in Sacramento. And that one shifted a lot more in, in me. And that one lasted about six months. And then a few years after that, it wasn't at a call. It was just on my own between the Lord and I. I did a different one, a third one. And that one lasted about five and a half years. Or, yeah, anywhere between five and five and a half years. And the most recent one was in two, 2016. It lasted up until... I forgot when I cut my hair, but was that 2002 or 2000, sorry, 2021, 2021? I don't know. Anyways, all I knew was this, and maybe some of you felt that last week, and maybe some of you are going to feel that today. When they were making the call for a Nazarite, everything within me was saying, that's what I want. The one phrase that he said that I find very repetitive among people who have made a Nazarite vow is that there's more, is that this is not it. And we were singing it earlier, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to always ask myself, I don't know about you guys, I have a tendency to just question every single thing I do, everything I do, the decisions that I make, the thoughts that I have, and the things that I sing. I'm like, is that true? If it's not, I need, to, I need to ask the Lord to help me before I start singing it. Like, I want my songs to be true in my heart. I want the Lord to help me as I'm singing it. When we were singing, you, you are the only one that satisfies. Is that really true of us? Is that true of you? Is he really the one that satisfies? And these are, that's one of the simple questions that led for me to feel I need to make a Nazarite vow. I need to, to intentionally set apart, my, set myself apart and do Things I have never done. In other words, I rid myself of a lot of things. I, I was what at, at the time people were calling me extreme. When it came to friends, I intentionally stayed away from them. And I only gave myself permission to be with my, friend, my friends three hours a week. And I, did not, I stopped watching movies completely in, every, in, in, in the first three vows that I did. I stopped watching movies completely up, up until when I had kids. Then when I had kids, it was, if my kid can't watch it, I can't watch it. Like, if I can't watch it and put it in, put it in front of him, I, I, I can't watch it myself. And then I let go of music year, years ago. Um, and you, this is going to sound funny, even Christian music for a moment. Uh, and if you ask me about 
Christian worship song? I don't know any, honestly, because I still don't really listen to most of it. Unless it's being up here, I don't listen to it. And when, I'm, when it's up here, most of the time I either think it's Upper Room, John Thurlow, or it's Gatekeepers. Like, that's all I think it is. Anyways, and I, I did those things. And then in the third one that I did, or, yeah, the third one that I did, that one is the one that changed my life second the most than the most recent one. That was when I got smart and dumbed down. I, had a, I let go of my iPhone, and I went to a flip phone for almost six years. And I completely deleted, not, not just off my phone, I completely deleted, canceled every single uh, social media account that I had. And into marriage, when we got married, there was a moment where we were like, we were like, uh, we were ballers on a budget. And all of a sudden, the Lord confronts us, and we start living simple living. Like, even though we had a beautiful home, and somehow we were blessed with it, but we started doing simple living. We got rid of every single electronic in our home. We started giving it away. We sold some of it so that we can pay for young people's retreats that were coming up, that we, of the young people that we were leading. Um, and one of the things that the Lord made clear, and I felt like the Lord was doing that with me again at the beginning of this year, is that if I remove the noise and the clutter, he'd speak to me a lot clearer. I think everybody in this room desires for God to speak clearly. And to move in our hearts a little bit more tangible and clearer. But if we, are, if we really pause and just ask ourselves, or just... You know, make it, make, just take an evaluation of your life. You're probably full of distraction and noises. Probably. If you're desiring that, there's, there's a probability that you're full of distraction and noises. That's not a confrontation. That's probably just your reality. You know, and, and we'll talk about the things that, anyways, we'll talk about those things in a bit. And the flip phone thing was probably the best thing ever, honestly. Um, it, it started trickling into young people around me. Um, and here's what I've realized. You're not going to regret setting aside a season of this type of consecration for the Lord five, ten years down the road. I look back, <clears throat> and there was some retreats that I've done. There was one that I did myself, like attended to in 2006, and then I've led probably like 50 or 60 of them after that. But in that 2006 one, I look back, and there was a, 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 there's a photo. I, I, don't, I don't know where it's at. It's probably at my in-law's house in California. But I looked at the photo a few years back. I'm the only one in that photo but one other person that is still following the Lord. I do not regret any of the decisions that I've made to follow the Lord. Because so many things come from our, to, from our left to our right to try to swipe you out. Everything is fighting for your attention and your affection. Everything. Everything desires your attention, your affection, and your money, and your heart. It wants your life. And guess what? So does God. He wants your life. And the difference is that when you choose God, it's the only direction that you could go in. That's actually going to bring you life. In Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 23 and 24, where he says, if anybody wants to follow me, he's looking at the crowd and he says, if anybody wants to follow me, 
deny yourself, carry your cross daily, and follow me. He says, for what, what, would it, what would it profit a man if he tries to save his life and in the end he loses it? But he says, blessed would be you if you would lose your life for my sake and in the end you will find it. That, that's the type of, uh, if, let's just think about it. And, I, and this is why we, I think this is why a lot of us despise or just don't, or we're, not the, we're not the most fond of the church of, in America. Because even in the church and outside of the church, there's just a lot of self-preservation. There's a lot of self-preservation. And there is more talk about laying down at the altar than there actually is inside our homes. And so when we hear the word and we don't see it, there's a tension and a clash in our hearts that this just doesn't make sense. Right? And one of two things can happen in that case. Well, many things, but let's just say three. You could get offended with the church. You could leave God in the church altogether. Or you're going to do something about it yourself. And that's where we're at right now when it comes to this Nazarite vow. In 2016... In February of 2016, I came here for the first time visiting with our then pastor for the 10 conference. It was the 10-year anniversary. And I came, and it was my first time in Atlanta, and I actually enjoyed it. The conference in itself was amazing. And I went up to an altar call, and from behind me comes uh, someone that I had barely met, and he starts prophesying and praying over me. And confirmed something that the Lord had already been speaking to me for that year. And it was a Nazarite vow. And so at the end of February of 2016, I got a haircut. And then my last meal that day before I started a 40-day fast was some really good Peruvian food from L.A. And it was just incredible. And I, I got to be honest with you, it's probably not the best way to start a fast. Like starting with a big hearty meal the night before is bad. And it was the last day I cut my hair up until when I just, uh, I let it grow out. For, so some of you who have seen me, I had it up to like right here at the top of my tailbone. And that's how long my hair was up until just a little over a year and a half ago or two maybe. I can't even remember the date now. But it was when I made the vow and I, and I made it. Now that was the first time that I felt that I needed to grow my hair out to do it. And if we'll talk about that in a little bit in regards to the vow. And... It was the thing that, trend, that, that just changed our family's life. Um, and a lot of the things that we did came out of that fast. And it was probably, it's not, no, sorry, not probably. It is the fast that I've done the best. Every other fast, I have been really bad at. And that one, my wife was on Daniel fast, and I did on liquids. And for one day at the end, towards the end or in the middle, I, uh, we did blended beans. It was, it was like a liquid. I just got to confess and be honest. We did blended beans. <laughs> it was liquid-like. And at one point, it was just too thick to, I was like, all right, there's no longer a drink. Yeah, like we needed a boba straw or something. <laughs> but we just had a regular straw. I just had to confess. But the Lord knows my heart. And even with that phrase, there's a problem, at least for me. But anyways, um, and we did it. And I got to be honest with you. So we led worship in front of 50,000 people at the L.A. Coliseum. 
and I was leading it, and it was a bi- the bilingual portion of the whole 12 hours that we were there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Lord, why did you give so much grace? Or why did you make it easy for me to fast? I'm asking these simple questions. And I'm, like, skinny as a bone, and I'm, like, enjoying it because I lost 40 pounds. And, and, and anyways, and people just, I mean, it was just hilarious because people thought I was on drugs and stuff because it was, like, they, I'm like, you knew I was fasting, I think, right? Like, but they couldn't believe it. And that day I'm asking, I was like, Lord, why? This is, this is probably just random thoughts of a worship leader. Confessions of a worship leader. Um, that's a podcast right there. But anyways, I'm asking the Lord, like, is there going to be an epic moment in worship where you're just going to show up? I literally thought that. And I'm going up there, and I'm, like, waiting for that moment. And it never came. It never came. I was like, dang it. But I walk off. I was like, all right. Because that was, like, a two. We got there since, like, uh, about 6 in the morning. We're like, all right, this is, it's coming up. It's coming up. And then at 2, we led for 30 minutes. And then we stepped down, and nothing happened. And people just say, good job. And we're like, all right, thanks. And... We're at the, in front of the, the stage now. It's pro- we're probably from here, my wife and I, and the stage is right there, like to that back wall, that white wall. And they start making a call for missions. And all I know is that in my heart and my wife's heart, we're both feeling the same thing. And it was that we were able, and he gave us grace to fast so that we would say yes to the call to missions and not be offended. And that was what just changed everything. All those things that happened before that, in the middle of that, has led us to being even right here right now in front of you guys. And all I know and all I can say to you and encourage you is that you will not regret the season and the time that you would set apart to go after God. So, Numbers chapter 6. We are not going to read it all. I'm going to highlight the three parts or the three commitments of a Nazarite in just a bit. And I'll tell you where, where those at in a bit. But the whole chapter is about the call to the Nazarite. And I'm going to explain it for us as it relates to how it, it can apply to us. So let me ask you a question for personal reflection again. I got three questions for you guys. First one is this. If everything was stripped away from you, like if it was just you and you did not, if you no longer had tomorrow, if you no longer had Gate City, Billy Humphrey, YouTube, Spotify, your books on your shelf, whatever it might be, your phone, and it was just you and your Bible and God, and everything was gone. Do you have history with God? Can you and do you know how to move forward from there? On your own. And this is one of the reasons why when the Lord questioned and, and asked me this, do I have history? And I started making those decisions to rid myself of those things. Is that I did not want to be continually stimulated by everything around me to press into God. I wanted, I wanted to know that it was just him and I and, and him and I can get there alone. And that I didn't need a song in the background 
or ambient sounds or anything. I just needed to be alone with my Bible in the dark with just the Lord. I needed to know that. I was confronted by someone and, and they asked me, do you pray, Gus? And my immediate answer was, literally, it was like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm in the prayer room six hours a day, Monday through Friday. Yeah, but do you pray? I'm like, I'm like yeah, I'm on the stage and I lead worship and I lead some of the prayer meetings. But do you pray? I started getting offended. And the reason why I was offended, for the same reason why I was offended when I got introduced to the house of prayer, is that I wasn't praying. I did not have, and this is what I'm referring to, I did not have, I did not have a hidden, secret prayer life with the Lord. Everything was out loud and in public. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I still come to the prayer room myself, but I'm saying like I needed to know that I had a hidden life where only him and I knew, and that's it, and no one else will ever partake of that but just him and I. Do you have that? If you were stripped of everything, do you have history with God? How long would it last? Because you might be answering yes. How long will you last? How much of that history, if your history was God, was gasoline to a car, how long can you go? The next question I was confronted with is this, is if what you do and where you go and the gifts that you had, all of that was stripped away. Think about that. If everything that you do and where you go, like Gate City, or if you're a musician and all, all of a sudden you just didn't know how to play and, and nothing, you just, it was just plain old you and you were no big deal anymore. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you if everything was stripped? And my last question. After that, I had to ask myself a question, and it was a question the Lord was asking me to. It was a simple question. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Because I started finding that I, I was finding my identity in all of those different things, and I didn't know it before the Lord. I did not have and did not know my identity before the Lord. It hinged on everything else that existed around me. Does that make sense? Amen. So these are the questions that I was confronted with. That these are the things that woke up hunger in my heart. Which is why I was asking that we'd pray earlier uh, as we ended worship, that we'd pray for the increase of the fear of the Lord. And that we'd ask the Lord to uh, increase hunger in our hearts. So I'm going to tell you this before, before we get into these points. The Nazarite vow and call may not be for everyone. So do not feel the pressure that you have to do anything. Some of you already feel that you have to. And I'm urging you, respond to it for a season. Respond to it. But I will say this, while the, the, the vow of a Nazarite might not be for you, 
walking in the fear of the Lord is. Simply put, the fear of the Lord is everything matters. Everything matters. What you're thinking right now, that matters. What you're distracted with about what you're going to eat after this, matters. What you do in your room when you get home after gatekeepers, guess what? It matters. The first thing you do tomorrow morning when you wake up, matters. How you treat your parents matters. How you treat and respond and think about your leaders matters. How you talk to your boss, it matters. How you talk and treat yourself matters. The time you spend or don't spend with the Lord matters. What you watch matters. What you listen to matters. Who you spend your time with matters. What you put in your mouth matters. What you put before your eyes matters. Everything matters. It's, you're going to have to correct me if it's not there. It might be Psalm 25, verse 14, where it says that the fear, the, the friendship with the Lord is for those who fear him. And to them he makes known his covenants. Friendship with God is for those who fear him. Psalm 25, 14, can someone confirm that? Thank you. Friendship with God is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenants. You want to know the secrets of God? You need to have fear of God. You want to be friends with God? You need to have fear of God. I'm going to make it very easy and tangible how to respond to the fear of the Lord because it's still, it could still be a very lofty phrase for some of us. As it was for me growing up, I was like, okay, this doesn't mean, do I be af- am I afraid? Like when my dad was coming at me with a belt, that type of afraid? Because I hear an amen in the room now. You, you know what that belt feels like. When your mom came after you, for me at least it was funny moments. But my dad came after me with a belt. I'm, I'm in hiding. I, I could hide better than Adam and Eve on that day they got found. Those are dad jokes. What was I saying before you distracted me? Fear of God. Making it tangible and easy. John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30. Where he just says, simply says, that he rejoices in hearing the voice of the bridegroom. And he calls himself a friend of the bridegroom. He's referring to himself as a friend. And in verse 30, he simply says this, I must decrease so that he would increase. So what does it mean to walk a tangible life of the fear of the Lord? Is you learn to love what your friend hates and you learn to hate what your friend hates. I said that wrong. I'm just making sure you're paying attention, all right? That was on purpose. Some of you were like, yeah, that's so deep. (laughs) That that was an honest mistake. I'm glad you're paying attention because I wasn't. 
You learn to love what your friend loves, and you learn to hate what your friend hates. So the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you can do that. And I want to help you. You spend time with Jesus as he has revealed himself in the word, and from there how he reveals himself to your heart. That you spend time with Jesus as he reveals himself, has revealed himself in the word. And then from that place, how he reveals himself to your heart. So here's a thought that I had. I had more excuses to give myself. This is, this is what was happening as I was being confronted with a Nazarite vow. Is that I had more excuses for the things uh, sorry, I, was, I had more excuses to give myself permission to have compromise and to have complacency. This is what that means. If God is asking you to lay down something or someone questions you like, hey, why do you do that? If it's those things that all of a sudden you have scripture to back up or you have to make a defense for, it's probably those things that are causing your heart to compromise. Does that make sense? It's probably the things that we get questioned for and we start defending and we start presenting scripture for our defense. It's probably those things that the Lord is asking us to lay down. So I had, like I said, I had more excuses to give myself permission to compromise and to be complacent more than I had a reason not to burn before the Lord. So I'll give you these three holy commitments, and we're out of here. And some of you said amen in your mind, I know. I heard it. It was super loud. Three holy commitments, and you'll find these if you read Numbers chapter 6. And, and I'm just going to pray again. I'm going to ask the Lord that he would help us. And, and whether or not you make a Nazarite vow or you keep the one that you started last week, the desire to have one. I, I, I will still urge you that these things are still pertaining to everybody in this room. So Jesus, I just ask right now, Lord, that you'd help us. Help me speak these things clearly. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that it be you that brings forth the conviction and the grace to walk things out. Lord, help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Three holy commitments, and these are found, again, in Numbers chapter 6. These are the three things of the, in, in the vow that a Nazarite would make. The first one is this, must not drink wine. Must not drink wine, and in, in combination with that is eat of the fruit of the vine, raisins, or it, it says very specific drinks that come from the vine. And basically is this, and that's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, and I'll read it for you. And it says this, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from the wine, vinegar made from, uh, and neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat uh, fresh grapes or drink. And then verse 4, all the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced, produced by the grapevine, uh, not even the seed of, or the skin of it. And it's this, and I'm going to give you a, a contrast to that as well. It's Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine, 
And he says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm going to give you this, this, this thought of what the wine is. It's this. <clears throat> it's the pleasures. It's that the pleasures of God are greater than the pleasures of the world. The wine. Now, those were actual things in the vow. And you might, if you're making a Nazarite vow, do that as well. I encourage you to do that as well. But in the context of we are in today, um, it is the pleasures of the world. It is that which uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 says that those things which are permissible, permissible but are not beneficial. We can make a list of the things that are permissible but not beneficial. Is that those are legitimate pleasures, but they're not for you in the season that you might be finding yourself in. Because the Lord is calling you to himself in a very specific way. In a very specific way. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, where uh, the Shulamite says, For your love is better than wine. When you encounter the love of God, you encounter a love that is better than wine. A love that is, that's, does something to your heart, and, in, and in, in some cases, even to your body, that is far better than the pleasures of this world. And my hope is that every single one of us in this room would encounter that love and encounter those pleasures. So, again, that the pleasures of God are greater than the pleasures of the world. Guys, this is not a confrontation. This is just a call to what you said yes to when you said yes to him. Think about that. This is not a confrontation. The fact that we make excuses or give ourselves permission for compromise, that... It's that, that's, a, that's, a, I don't even, that's a tragedy in many cases. Because you said yes to this. And I'm just simply reminding you to what you said yes to. And I, I, I probably sound like I'm angry, but I'm not. I'm actually calling you and reminding you that his love is actually far better than the things that this world has to offer. Because the problem is we find ourselves drunk on many other things. Some of us, maybe, I'm hoping not, but we find ourselves drunk on ourselves. Find ourselves drunk on social media, on the, the approval of other things, of other people, the, the comparison with other things and other people. Well, you actually might, I don't know, maybe somebody in this room actually finds themselves drunk with actual alcohol or some other type of Addictive drug or whatever it might be. And it's most of the, most of the time is because we have yet to set ourselves apart to actually encounter the love that surpasses those pleasures. Why do you think that when drug addicts get radically saved, they know and they're certain that the pleasure that they find, they find in God are far better than what they had before that? I'm going to put it in a parenthesis in regards to Nazarites. Nazarites are pleasure seekers. 
You're pleasure seekers. And you're looking for the pleasure in God. And the problem is, I'm just going to take drive it home a little bit more for someone in you. You hear the word pleasure, and maybe, 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 some of you, maybe one of you in this room is already thinking something you're not supposed to when you hear that word. Because the world has stolen those words for themselves. For at your right hand there are pleasures evermore, says Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. This is David talking to God. In your presence is fullness of joy. All right, think about this. David talking to God, the Father. In your presence is fullness of joy. And then what does he say? At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Let me ask you a question. Who is at the right hand of the Father? Where are those pleasures coming from then? In Jesus. It's not some made-up thing like, oh, I wonder what's at the... No, it's he who is at the right hand. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, sit at my right hand. He's talked, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's the father talking to the son. He is at the right hand of the father right now in this very moment. It is he that we're singing about. And it's he that we're actually trying to go after, and yet it is he that we're fighting against when we say no to laying down these things in our lives. Do you realize the tension that we find ourselves in almost every day? The tension that you feel in your heart when you walk into a room like this is because you, you are feeling the gap between where you are and where you know you could be in God. That's the tension that you're feeling. When you walk into a prayer, when you walk into here, when you walk into godly conversation, you're feeling the gap between where you are and where you know you could be. It's easy to say that the church offended you and walk away and never have responded to the tension that's in your heart. I'm encouraging you to respond to the tension by laying your life down. And it's very easy, it's simple, and it's amazing. You will not regret it. It's just a simple yes every day. This is how I tangibly made this decision when, I, when these things were happening in my life. It's like, okay, God. I literally spoke to the Lord like this. I was like, we need to take one thing at a time. I, I just felt like it was going to destroy me if it was like, whew. I was like, so I, 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 he was kind and patient with me. So patient. So patient. So I asked. Literally, I asked. Okay, what are we getting rid of this week? And so every single day was just a small step in that direction of letting go of these things. And it started with, ex- with external things. And then a few months later, Literally from January to July, I remember this was specifically in 2015, it started turning into internal things. And those are a lot harder. Can I tell you why? One of, one of the simple reasons why they're a lot harder is because nobody sees them. I don't know if that's just me, but nobody sees them. It's easy to, to do the external things and be like, look, guys, I got a flip phone and get praised for that. 
How do I prove to you that I'm making some type of consecration in my heart right now other than saying it? And when I say it, am I losing my reward because I'm trying to bring you into something you're not supposed to be in? That's just so weird. That's the tension I constantly find myself in. Am I making sense on any of these things? So here are some questions. Are you willing to lay these things down for a greater pleasure? Like, are the songs you sing really true about you? I appreciate the honesty of some people nodding no. And if they're not, I'm encouraging you, make them true. Don't be condemned. Make it true. It's in the simple, simple phrase, that, that little line where the Lord just draws a line in the sand before the lady that's about to get stoned, the prostitute's about to get stoned. It's very simple. He made it very simple. He, oh God, he made it so simple. Everybody is ready to cast stones. You guys know this story? And, and some of the, some Bible, some virgins actually try to take this story out of it. It's, if I'm not mistaken, it's in John chapter 8. But, or the end of 7. No, that's, I think it's 8. Yeah, right. Okay, thank you. And they're ready to stone her because they caught her. And the only reason they would catch her is because probably it was one of them. <laughs> and they're ready to stone her. And they bring her to the Lord thinking they're going to test him. And they throw her at his feet. And let's be honest, that's us. We have prostituted ourselves to the things of this world. And we are thrown. As soon as you turn your back on the world, they're going to throw you into right, right in that spot. And then they're, they, they're all holding stones. And then they ask the Lord. They're waiting for him to see what he's going to do. And he knows it. He knows exactly what's going on. And then he says the simple phrase to those guys, he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's the, I can't do it, so I fake it. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says one by one they started leaving and dropping their stones. And then he just says one simple thing to her. I'm, I'm showing you how easy the Lord makes it for you. He says, no one is here to condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. That's it. Don't be condemned right now. Go and sin no more. He makes it so simple. There was no, once you go over here and do that, Make sure you to go talk to that guy and do this. And make sure you to go to that event and do that. And make sure you raise your hands there. No. Just go and sin no more. We, we complicate it way more than it needs to be. And, and some of it has, is this religious and in some cases maybe Catholic background that has stepped into it. Just whether or not you came from Catholicism, it still creeps into our natural minds. It's that somehow we just feel we need to pay a punishment in order for things to be made right. And it's not okay for him to say, go and sin no more. Like, no, I need to be punished. Like, tell me, yell at me first, please. Like, do something. But he just simply says, go and sin no more. Are you willing to lay those things down for a greater pleasure? And which things am I referring to? 
It's the things that we make excuses for and defend. Number two, I, I promise I'll go faster in this. Number two, it says this. It says, no razor shall go upon the head. Number six, chapter six, verse five. It says, all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he, sh then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. I got to read you a verse before we continue because these passages are saying his, his, his. But I got to read you verse uh, two of number six. It says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them that when either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of an Azrite to separate himself to the Lord. So the he is for girls as well. It's referring to those that are responding. I just felt to say that for whoever it needed to be. The long hair was this, was a public mark of consecration and a form of accountability. It was, at the time, the way that people knew that person made an Azurite vow. That person made the vow of an Azurite. They're, they're growing out their hair. And let's be honest, hair growth takes time. I cannot grow it long in a year. It takes time for people to realize, like, oh, that's what you've been doing these past two years, growing your hair? It takes time. Again, it's the public mark of consecration, and it is the form of accountability, which is why I, made, I asked the question I did at the beginning. Your form of accountability was when you stepped up here last week. I don't remember your faces or your names, but I know a good chunk of you responded to it. And some of you raised your hand. And even then, you're lucky because I can't even see your face from here. So you're off the hook. <laughs> or are you? I don't know. It was also a symbol of the Nazarite strength. So here's the thing. When it comes to the long hair, and you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to be brought in or to accountability, and you're making a public statement in the same way that a public declaration is such as a baptism as well. This is, this is the same thing. And what they're saying is this. What, it, what, what the, the heart of a Nazarite in this instant is this, is that they're not asking, what can I get away with? And they're not asking, like, what do I need to do or what's the least I can do to be saved? They're, we're, they're, the Nazarites are actually asking, how far can I go in God? When it comes to holiness and purity and going after God, we look for the lines on the wrong side. Like, okay, I think I'm right at the edge of being saved and this is still okay. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But if you look the other direction, there are no lines in God. You can go as far as you want. You don't have to worry about lines anymore if that's what you're worried about. Walk the other way. Go towards God. There are no lines. You don't have to walk on eggshells over there. 
I would say that it takes a lot more courage to live, especially in our day and age, and I'm sure everybody in every generation would say the same thing, generations past. It takes a lot more courage to say yes to God boldly today than it is to sin. Sin gets applauded. Sin gets movements now. Sin gets an altar, gets a platform. That's where we're at right now. A Nazarite is not saying, what can I get away with? And again, anybody just responding to the fear of the Lord is asking the same thing. It is, how can I get more in God? How can I find pleasure in God? That's what you should be asking. So the desire, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, just so you see it. The desire within a Nazarite or a person that wants to make this type of consecration is to be great. Let me ask you a question, and it's okay to answer yes. Okay, just giving you a heads up. How many of you in this room want to be great? Don't be afraid. I'm raising my hand. Great. Like, you want to be great. Like, there's a desire within you to be something, to be great. Great. That's awesome. Let me help you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Almost there. Sorry, I had it on. There we go. Matthew 5, 19. It says this, whoever therefore breaks, he's talking about the law in, uh, uh, as it relates to the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount. So he says this, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God or least, least in the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, but whoever does and teaches them, in other words, does the things that are found in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he says, he shall be called great in the kingdom. Do you want to be great? Walk out the Sermon on the Mount. You want to be great before man? That's a different story. You want to be great before the eyes of him who matter? Walk out the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Set your heart to walk that out. That's where your desire for greatness comes. It's to be great in God. We've confused it for, for being great for men. And the problem is that we find ourselves in a generation that is building themselves a platform and no longer desiring to build the prayer room or build history in God. And we're looking for, a, we're looking for eyes to see us. You know that that is God-given. Your desire to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be great, is from God? Maybe some of you in this room never thought that, but it is from God. What you do with that is what would determine, could determine your eternity. Your desire to be great, to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, to be validated is from God, and that's the only place you will find true satisfaction and validation. And that's a problem. That's a problem for us, if, let's just be honest, because you cannot show that off. <laughs> you could show off being validated by people, 
You know what I mean? Right? I think you could. There's, it's so easy now to find ways to be validated by people. All you have to do is share your struggle today on Instagram or whatever, your platform of your choice. I'm just choosing Instagram. And guess what you're going to get? Wow, you're so brave. You're so vulnerable. I'm not denying that maybe you are being brave and vulnerable. But I think that deep down somewhere in there, it's, for the, it's, it's to be seen. And it's not wrong. It's just in the wrong direction. When you start actually pointing that desire to God and you take the time to know that you're being seen, it does so much more for you. So, so much more for you. I, and I got to be honest with you, it is hard. It is hard. I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. It's hard. But I have come to love it and enjoy it. And it's so strange, and my wife and Ivy could vouch for this, that anything that I'm doing in my life right now, I did not raise my hand for at all. Like in this, it's just so strange, or the places or the people that I've been in front of, I did not raise my hand for any of those things. I was not the greatest to do any of the things I've done or to be in front of anybody that I've been. And it's just so strange that I've even had those moments. Or even this moment right now with you guys. All I knew, this is just a parenthesis here, all I knew is that when I got here, I was like, dang, I wonder what happens on Thursdays. Literally, that's all I thought to myself. And I did not step foot into here, into this room with you guys, until Billy and Mary Beth asked my wife and I to join them and just walk with them and help the little bit that we do. And that took over two years for me to step in here. I know that sounds so dumb, but for me it's like, Lord, you put me here. And for me, it means a lot to be in front of you guys right now. I say that because from a distance, I've prayed for gatekeepers. And now we get to be in front of you guys. To me, that's a gift. You guys are a gift. Thanks, Daniel. Love you, man. I love Daniel. I call him Daniel, not Daniel. It's just better. So here, here's what I mean by it's not easy. It's a hidden life in God, and you can't show that off. But I'll tell you this. It's been a while about what I'm about to say to you. And my wife can probably remember some of these things, and maybe Ivy too, at least be, just because we have the longest history together. But I remember being in the presence, like meaning face-to-face with people who are Nazarites, and me just feeling like, dude, you're literally of a different breed. Like you, who the heck are you? It felt so weird. I literally felt like I was with someone who's been with the Lord. I was with someone who I felt like I felt like with, in some cases, with the Lord. Because they would ask me simple questions. And I felt so convicted and at the same time so encouraged. Like, this is so weird right now. 
simple, simple phrases, simple questions like, what are you passionate about? What's on your heart? Uh, I, I remember one guy, his name was Rick Joyner, asked me that. We were literally, like, it, worship ended, and it's just super random. We're sitting on the steps next to the stage. This is back in L.A. I don't even know how and why we were having that awkward moment because it's just two dudes, one really big guy with a massive beard, big voice. When he, and when he talks, he screams, and he's over there so tender with me. He's like, what's on your heart, Gus? Like, what are you passionate about? And I don't even know how to answer the question. There's something about a person that has made a Nazarite vow, has been with God, that just calls everything out in you that there's more. And you feel like, oh, God, like your life confronts me. Your life confronts me. What would it look like for your life alone to be the provoking thing in your friends around you? What would it look like? For you to step foot into a room and, and the, the conviction of the Lord hits. Charles Finney, a, a, a revivalist from the early 1900s, he, he, he owned some factories and he walked into one of his factories. And the story goes like this. This is a true story. He's walking to one of his workers. Let's say it's from here to where my wife is at. And the, the lady was working. I forgot what I think what I don't remember uh, what type of factory it was. But he's taking a tour of his factories, and he's walking up to the ladies, and the lady is working. And the story goes that as he gets closer, she stops working. She just stops. And as he's just walking to her normally, just to say hi to her, just to go walk over there. He, as he gets closer, she's, she drops. She starts weeping, and she starts repenting and asking God for forgiveness. The closer he got, the more she was dropping to the ground. And it was just because of who he's, who he's been before God. Did not say a word. I, I read those stories and I was like, God, make me a provoking man. I want to live like that. And the truth is that to, in order to have that type of life, you need to make those type of decisions in the secret. And that's where it gets hard. Again, I'm not trying to bash anything because I do them too. But altar calls are easy. Walking it out is hard. It's not impossible. It's just a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. But who you are a year from now after walking that out is a totally different person than who you are right now. And then who you will be in five years looking back, all you can say is, God, you did it. I don't know how, but you did it. Think about where you are right now. You're not who you were five years ago. And all I can do is look back and say, God, you did it. It was you. It doesn't matter whether you think yourself horrible, even in this moment. The fact that you're in this room proves that God is still with you. He has not let go of you. So whether you have felt it or not, there's more. For every single one of us. Every single one of us in this room. And here's the last one. Is that to not go near. To not go near a dead body. 
That's Numbers chapter 6, verse 6. And it's basically this. Dead bodies are two things. You ready? They're dead and they're defiled. So what does that mean for us? Let me ask you in a form of a question. Are you touching anything that is defiling you? Are you watching anything that is defiling you? Are you listening to anything that is defiling you? Are you doing anything that is defiling you? Are you walking into places that are defiling you? Are you putting things into your body that are defiling you? Are you doing anything that is causing more death in your life than it is life? Here's the trick. Very simple. You have a spirit man and a fleshly man. Yes? What you feed the most is what's going to win that day. You have a spirit man and a flesh man. You decide what you're going to feed the most, and what you feed the most, it's what's going to win that day. And only you decide that. No one else can decide that for you. Isn't that crazy? Your mama ain't here to tell you anymore. It's you. You got what you wanted when you were five. Leave me alone. <laughs> You're alone. Now what? What are you going to do about it? Thank you for humoring me over there. Are you consuming dead things? You know what are dead things too? There's only, let me give you an example, in, the, in the example of books. There's only one book that's alive. There's only one book, one text that's alive. That's it. Every other book is a dead book. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. It says this, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What goes into your eyes? And even being partially blind, I have no excuse. What I watch, what I do, goes for me. I know you don't know whether to be serious or like, it's okay to laugh. I'm okay with it. I know those weren't holy gasps, those were laughs. <laughs> Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. So it's the no wine or grape or even grape drink. It is the no razor to the head. And it is, in other words, the accountability, the outward mark, and just the strength of the Nazarite, you can see that also in the life of Samson. And then also the third one, um, which is just not being around a dead body. And it went as far as to say in the Nazarite vow, 
that even if it's, it says that they can't go near a dead body or bury the dead, even if it is a family member. You know what that reminds me of? If we actually took the time to like listen and read what the words of the Lord, I think, I think we'd pause a lot more and ask a lot of questions. There's a part, I'm trying to remember whether it's Luke 14 or Matthew 14, but regardless, you'll find it in the, in the Gospels. It's where Jesus says that if anyone does not hate his father and mother, they don't love me. What is it? Look what? It's okay. Um, The point is this, that if your love for the Lord, this this might sound extreme. Your love for the Lord should be that, I'm going to say it in this way, violent, that it looks like you don't love anybody else around you. Which he's not saying don't love them. He's just saying that your love for him should almost look and feel like it's hate towards them because they realize. Because here's here's the point. It would hurt <laughs> as a parent in a good way now because I love the Lord. If my son, when my son grows up, he is so devoted to the Lord that there might be cases he forgets about me. So letting go of the pleasures of the world, not cutting your hair and making a, a, responding outside with the outside accountability, and you could also bring friends into this to keep you accountable into this. And the third one is not doing things or touching or watching or whatever that are defiling you or causing more death in you than life. So for those of you who made a vow last week, or desired to make a vow, there you have it. Those are the three things. I, I shared a little bit of how I did it myself, but again, I want to I, I end it with this, is that the fear of the Lord is for everyone, and that everything matters. Amen. Let's close our eyes. We're going to pray. Jesus, we we thank you. We love you for the way that you lead, the way that you speak. We want to confess and say that we trust your leadership. We trust your leadership. You love to lead us, and you love to love us, and you draw a line in the sand, and you make it so simple. Go and sin no more. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you help our hearts to respond. For those who started a vow or desire to have a vow last week, give them grace to walk these things out. 
And for the rest of us, Lord, that we would walk in a fear of the Lord. Walk knowing that our lives are hidden in you and that your eyes are constantly on us. And our desire to be seen, to be known, to be heard, to be loved is but an inch away or a simple yes away. Even right now in this moment, if you were to say yes, he's there. And don't get mistaken. I'm not praying right now, but don't get mistaken. It's not, it's not always going to come with feeling. Most of your life is going to be made up of boring moments. Unseen, unexciting moments. Altar call moments and events and conferences are but a but but like but a like a, a minute in your timeline. But the simple yes that you have before the Lord, that's what counts. Those 100, 1,000 little yeses you do throughout the weeks that lead you to a massive altar call moment is what even gave you the courage to say yes in that moment. So, Father, I ask you, Lord, that for those who made a vow or desire to have one, Lord, that you would help them. So I'm going to ask if... If you, if you uh, came to the altar last week, would you stand up? We want to surround you in prayer and that the Lord would solidify that which he did in your hearts last week and that he would give you grace and joy to walk this out. This is a joyful thing to do because you get God. You get a, you're, giving, you're giving yourselves in a way that allows God to move and speak in your life very clearly and I'm, we're going to be looking to you and seeing, and honestly, in some way, shape, or form, God is going to speak to you, and you got to make yourself available to share what the Lord is saying to you in the weeks and months to come to your T groups. Because I know for, from experience that there's a clarity of the way God speaks and moves in a person that has made a Nazarite vow, that in some cases it's just for you, and in other cases, it's for you to share with who you know you have to share it with. So I'm just encouraging you, be bold and courageous and loving when you share it. And here's another thing that I want to pray for you guys that are, as you're standing up. I, 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 and this is what I'm going to ask those around us to pray for in a bit as well. I pray for your hearts, because I know what it's like, that you would not land in, in judgment. Because it's so easy, trust me to be where you are, and in a few weeks of walking it out, you look around you, you might be appalled at the rest of us. Just going to be honest. You're going to be appalled at the rest of us, and you're going to be like that, oh, God, that person's not living what I'm living. You, you got to walk in an intercessory life. Uh, the best I can tell you is that when those judgmental moments come, because they will come if you're responding, turn it into intercession for us. Turn it into intercession for those around you. Don't weaponize your, your calling to, to a vow, but turn it into intercession. So even if it's me, even if it's Billy, it doesn't matter who it is. Turn it into intercession. That those moments turn into your sweetest moments. Because those are the moments where the Lord starts killing the ick in you, that nasty stuff in you. And you start turning that conversation with yourself to him 
And guess what? That conversation changes. It's no longer it's like, oh, look at Gus. He's not living what he's preaching. You might be there. I don't know. But if and when you get there, turn it into intercession for the rest of us. Walk in hiddenness. Enjoy the hiddenness. You want to talk about hiddenness? Look at Jesus' life. We only know but a fraction of it. He walked so hidden. So if you're around them, please lay your hands on them. Let's just pray that the Lord will give them grace and strength to walk these three things out. And, that, and, and also, so get, uh, let's pray these two things. Ask the Lord to give them grace to walk those three things out. And then the second thing is to help them how to apply it to their own lives, what it looks like for them. Yes, Father, I ask, Lord, as you're doing with Josh now, Lord, that you'd give the rest of us and the rest of them the gift of tears in the midst of their vow, Lord. You'd make it clear how long they are to make their vow. Father, I just pray that this season of a vow would mark their lives forever. That they go deep in you, Lord. Let them go deep in you. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, help us, help them. Father, I pray for grace, for strength in their inner man. Lord, that they would not partake of the pleasures of the earth, of the world, but that you would solidify that the pleasures of God are greater. Lord, and that even right now, whether they, whether they feel called by you to grow their hair out or not, they're making a public declaration that they're making a vow, and we want to surround them in prayer and believe with them, Lord. This is not about who is greater in the room or not. This is about a moment, a holy moment that they are responding to in you. And as they respond to you, God, I'm just so excited for what it looks like on the other side. Lord, and that they would not partake or get near dead things they re, they would rid themselves of dead things defiled things lord guard their hearts guard their minds guard their ears their hands and let your light let your word be the light unto their feet where they walk Lord, and I pray that they would provoke a generation to holiness and intimacy. They would provoke their families to intimacy with God. That they would provoke their bosses, their co-workers, to the conviction and the reality of the, of the existence of Jesus. That where they walk, Lord, you're with them. They are seen by you. They are heard by you. That there is that, Lord, I just thank you that you know you have their yes. 
You have their yes, Lord. Tomorrow, you have their yes. So I ask you, God, let there always be a yes in their hearts. Let there always be a yes in their hearts, Lord. I pray, God, and I thank you in the name of Jesus that the phone, that the, the pleasures of this world would not rob them of their highest calling. That drugs or pornography or relationships or uh, uh, other things, even food, whatever it might be, gossip or slander or other things that they fill them, have filled themselves with up until now will no longer rob them of who they are before you. Speak to them in this season clearly, God. Clearly, Lord. Make known to them your secrets, Lord, that the fear of the Lord and friendship with you is for those who fear you, Lord. Increase the fear of the Lord in this room and every heart and in these Nazarites' hearts, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we get to call Nazarites out of gatekeepers, Lord. That there is a group of Nazarites in the midst of gatekeepers. Thank you, God, that our generation is not without hope. Our generation has hope from simple, weak, broken yeses like today. Thank you, God. Generation, Lord God, Gen Z has hope because of a simple, weak, and broken yes right now in this room. So I also pray, Lord, that you would help them walk out the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Lord. That they would build their house on the rock. On the truth of who you are in your words. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. That all of this be for your glory, God. All of this be for your honor, Lord. That you would be made known at the end of all of this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.